Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the kennel, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. We've had lots of practice with it. We've, we know we're comfortable with it, and we know we can get the job done with what we're doing. You know, we all have a favorite horse or a favorite rope that we like to use. If we got a big bull that we got to go rope, we got to... We got everything that we want to use in our head already before we even go and do the job, and we know who we want to use too. I mean, we got our brothers behind us in our small group, and so I'll get back to that in just a minute. But if you have your Bibles, I'd like to open open you have you open it up to John chapter nine, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about. I love when Jesus talks about blind people and when he heals blind people, just because there's so much spirituality and it. it's, it's crazy, but. Verse, starting off in verse 1, it says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Verse 2, it says, his, his uh, disciples say, Rabbi, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sins or his parents' sins? And Jesus just says that Jesus answers. says, It is not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answers. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here, I am the light of the world. Then he spit in the ground, spit on the ground, kind of creating some mud, and then he just, just peeled it over this guy's eyes and just rubbed it over this guy's eyes. And then he told this guy, go and wash yourself in the pool of Salome. And Salome just means scent. So it, it's kind of a crazy thing that this pool is already there that, that just meant scent because that just goes along with the narrative of Jesus coming along and healing this man. So the man went and washed, and suddenly he came back seeing. Just He did what Jesus told him to do. He did what Jesus told him to do. Remember that. Verse 8, his neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar just kept saying, yes, I'm, I'm the one. And in verse 10, they asked him, who healed you and what happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. And then they, they took the man, and, and the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath day that Jesus had made the mud and healed them. The Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them he put the mud over my eyes, and when I, and when I washed it away, I could see. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion of this man, about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man who had been blind and now could see, so they called his parents and they asked them, is this your son? And they said, yes. If, was he born blind? How, if so, how can he see? And his parents just replied, We know this is our son and he was born blind, but we don't know how he can all of a sudden see and, or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. And, and they said this because his parents were afraid of the Jewish leaders and, and these Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying that Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. And when, I mean, you can, any of you who know some Jewish people know that whenever they can get frustrated, there'd be like a vein popping out in their head. They're not too kind. I mean, when, when it comes to biblical law, they're like strict, real strict. And they, they don't accept people working on a Sabbath day, which in all honesty was kind of sad. And I'll get to that in a minute on why it's kind of sad. But for the second time, they called the man in who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. 
because he worked on a Sabbath day, supposedly. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become disciples of him too? And that ticked them Jewish leaders off pretty bad because they don't like being told that, that they're wrong. You know, they're supposed to be the smartest people out there at that time. So they cursed him and, and said, you are a disciple of him. You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? You know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he, he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. He is ready to hear those that worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this, if this, man, were not, if this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you still trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. They threw him out of the synagogue because it wasn't to their narrative. It didn't fit their narrative. And the, and the reason I'm going along with this and spiritual blindness is because today I want to talk a little bit about satanic strategies. And I'm not really one for preaching whenever I get the chance on, on public issues. And I'm not going to drone on and on and on about like a lot of other guys today. But, you know, there's one thing that people do whenever they think of God. And they don't think of his adversary, Satan. They don't think of Satan at all. And there's two, two, two big mistakes that people think, do whenever they think about Satan. They don't think of him enough or they think of him too much. But when I look around at what's going on to, around the world right now, I, think of, I see a lot of satanic strategies. And I want to get into a lot of them today. Because Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he does it by dividing and conquering. And that's exactly what he's doing throughout the United States. It's what he's doing in a lot of churches across the, across the United States and across the world. You know, you've seen, I've seen churches split over the color of carpet just because somebody couldn't lay down their pride over a color of carpet. <laughs> That's why we don't have carpet. Yeah. <laughs> but, but seriously, that's exactly what I want to get into is satanic strategies today. And I'm going to talk about the, the full armor of God in a way that I hope that people can understand. And I know a lot of times when somebody preaches about it, it can get kind of cheesy and people just kind of tune it out. But uh, hopefully you all don't today because it's really important. And it, and it goes right along with what I was just talking about in this parable about being spiritually blind. Being spiritually blind. In verse 35, Jesus then talks about the spiritual blindness. He picks it up. When Jesus heard what had happened, and he found a man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. Verse 37, You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. To show, to give sight to blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. That's a pretty condemning or a pretty convicting uh, verse right there, you know, because a lot of times, even in, even as a Christian myself, I get to the point where I, I think I'm right. You've heard Kevin say it all the time. Well, I don't say something to be wrong, you know. I don't, I, I don't want to be wrong, but sometimes I am. Sometimes I am. And you know, we hear this all the time. We hear a world screaming that we want the truth. We want the truth. Well, they don't even know what the truth is. The truth is what they make it up in their minds to be so that they're right in their own mind. A lot of times we use this book as kind of like a salad bar religion where we just pick and choose what we want to believe because it fits our narrative, just like the Pharisees. And that's a satanic strategy. Man, this guy's been at it for thousands of years. That's how he's dividing us. He knows the Bible better than anybody out there. Whenever I was in... in high school or something, I guess, I've been in high school, you know, I, 
grew up in a real biblical based town and uh a lot of uh, a lot of the kids that went to church around there there was an out of town church and then there's in town church they're both called Emmanuel Mennonite church anyways um one was good and one was bad one had a lot of corruption in it and and I didn't understand that as a high schooler you know I didn't know what all was really going on but you know, I had been told in high school from kids that went to the out-of-town church that if I didn't go to their church, that I was going to hell, you know. And I'd see them preach Bible verses one day, and that night they'd be plastered drunk, you know. And i just like, well, if that's the way Christianity is, I really don't want to be a part of it, you know. And I didn't know no better. I didn't know no better. I was spiritually blind because I didn't know what God's Word said. I wasn't prepared. It was the same way when I got to college. You know, I, hear, I see a lot, of, a lot of times when kids go to college, they're Christians when they go in. And then people start asking them questions, and they don't know how to answer them. They don't know how to answer them. I was the same way. I was like, well, maybe my faith isn't right. I don't know. And at that, at that time, and it's not just in college, everybody's like this, but you want to be accepted and loved for who you are, and so you're going to fit in whichever way possible. And thinking back to all the hypocrisy that I grew up around, I just thought, well, if, if that's the way it's going to be and I'm already going to hell, I guess I might as well have fun while doing it, right? <laughs> Wrong answer again, but didn't fit my narrative but no just uh I had to come to some harsh realities and God kind of spanked me a little bit you know I, I I accepted God in my life at a very at a very young age and uh and it took me until I was 21 to 22 years old to actually give my life to Christ I invited Christ in my life at an early age but it, it took me a while to actually give my life to Christ and actually say God I am yours I'm yours I'll do whatever you want me to do except for preach <laughs> and use a long rope no, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eventually, we're gonna get Ty converted to tying on. His hat's already curling up. It's already, it's getting tacoed out, going from a tortilla to a hard shell taco right there. <laughs> I already made him a horn knot for Christmas. It's got his brand on it and everything. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna sit on his wall or something. No. I don't remember what I was talking about now because I was making fun of Ty. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. No. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, I am too. Yeah, I was, I was spiritually blind, you know, and I didn't, I titled this message, Draw Your Sword, and I'll get to this in a minute. I'm just going to turn over there. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians 6. Maybe. I'll mark this just in case. Paul's writing about the whole armor of God. A final word, be strong in the Lord and, know, and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. We just talked about the strategies of the devil. It's reading to me. What's it saying? I can't hear it. I need a hearing aid. Brett? No, he's not here. Uh, no, the strategies of Satan is, is, is to get us off, off balance, and to get, especially Christians. Because when, man, whenever he causes us to sin, whenever he causes us to, uh, to temp, temptation, like whenever somebody's driving and cuts you off, you know, and you want to give them the finger... It's really tempting not to, you know, but, but, it's, but that's, that's how Satan's trying to trip you up. He's, he's been at this for thousands of years, and Satan is a master at human deception. And what he is, is, is he's an individual being. I'm going to get real deep spiritually on this, but, but he's a real, he's, he can only be in one place at one time. But he has lots and lots of demons that can pick on us at all times. And he can't hear our thoughts, but he can place thoughts into our head, right? So he can see how we act. And when he sees how we act, he's a, he studies human behavior. So he knows what makes us all tick. He knows all of our buttons. So whenever he sees us struggling with something, he's going to use that against us to tempt us, to get us to fall. 
And it's even worse whenever we become a Christian, a lot of times, because he's going to pick at us more. Because whenever you say you're a Christian and, and, you're a, and you're a hypocrite, which we all are, I'm just going to go out there and say that, we all are. Nobody's ever perfect in the way that we act. But when you go out and sin, and I'm just going to cover sin for a minute, sin is just a barrier. Sin creates a barrier between you and God. It's like being on the other side of a wall. You're in the same room with God whenever you repent and you ask for forgiveness, right? But if you just keep com- committing the same sin over and over again, it's like being stuck behind a couple of walls and eventually you just can't hear God. That's what it's like. And that's what Satan's trying to do. Because when Satan can trip you up and make you sin and create that barrier and you can't hear God, then the Word of God doesn't get spread. And that's why he attacks Christians so much more to stop us from, from converting other people into Christianity. That's why there's temptations. That's why he pushes those buttons. Man, when we get mad at something, he just uses that against us. He'll put those thoughts in our mind to get us to trip up. But when Satan does that, it's really important not to, not to give in to what he's saying. Even though we want to haul off and maybe yak at somebody back on Facebook for what they're saying, maybe, it's, maybe that's just Satan trying to get to us. Maybe it's better to keep your mouth shut. Or maybe sometimes it's better to actually say something than righteous anger. The Bible says be angry and sin not, right? You can use righteous anger. There's no sin in being angry, but there is sin in how you use it sometimes. That's why I'm calling this message, Draw Your Sword. This is your sword. I'll get to that in a minute, but this is your sword right here. And I don't mean this is your sword to go chop everybody's head off whenever they're doing something wrong. Sometimes you got to be kind and loving. Sometimes that's a fruit of the Spirit, and it's also in your sword. Maybe you just need to stab them with love, you know? That's what George calls hitting people is hitting people with love, right, George? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But this is our sword. And this is the only way that we can defend what Satan is trying to do to us. Those satanic strategies that this Bible is talking about, there's a spiritual world that is just as real as the world that we're living in. And we're fighting a spiritual battle every day. And if we don't know the enemy that we're fighting, we're not going to win. You can't fight a battle that you don't know your enemy, right? It's like a football team not watching any tape or practicing just showing up on Friday and saying, hey, we're going to play this team. They're probably not going to do very well, right? Because they have no idea. When that team studied them for thousands of years, you know, the same thing. And Satan knows no age limit. He doesn't care if a, if a person's three years old or 100. He's going to attack every single one of us because that's his plan. Steal, kill, and destroy. He is not on anybody's side but his own. But that's what I'm here to tell you today is that he's already lost. He's already lost because Jesus was resurrected. We've already won the battle. We're already into heaven, right? If you're a Christian, that's what our Bible says. If Whenever you accept Christ in your life, you're going to heaven, right? So why should we draw our sword and worship Jesus? Why should we spread Christianity? Why should we put on the full armor of God? There is no reason to put on the full armor of God unless we know why or who or what we're fighting. And that's why I want to talk about the spiritual, spiritual armor of God. So pick it up. Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Verse 13. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll still be standing firm, standing your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Verse 14, I'm going to read it again. Standing on your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. And this is going to sound weird, and I'm not using that version, but in some other versions it says, girding your loins instead of putting on the belt of truth. And I know that sounds really weird, but and I thought that was really weird too when I first heard it, but I learned something cool this week I'm going to share with you all. But... When it says girding your loins, Roman soldiers used to have like a tunic that they would wear. And so what they would do is that means that they would roll it up and it would be tight. It'd be like a basketball player fixing to guard somebody. That way they could move better. They'd pull their shorts up, you know. 
It's the same thing, tightening your belt. Pick it up in verse 15. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from, from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is your sword. We need to draw your sword. You need to put on, this is just a, this is just a piece of it, but this is probably the most important. Because without this sword, we don't know any, how to use any, any other piece of our armor, right? Back in 14, it talks about standing your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Righteousness is just a, it's a big word and sometimes it's scary, but it's really just simple. All it means is to be right with God. That's all it means. Sometimes, I know, and it's a satanic strategy. There's, I've been in this, the same thing, you know, where we keep struggling with something. Maybe we have an addiction of some sort and we keep going back to God and we keep saying we're sorry. And we keep saying we're sorry. And one of the strategies that Satan will use is he'll just keep saying you're bad. But, but before that, when he's trying to tempt us into those things that we already fall short in, he's saying, oh man, this will just make you feel so much better. Those thoughts are coming from him. This will fulfill you. This will, this will make you feel better for now. And then after you do it, you're like, gosh, dang it, I wish I wouldn't have done that. You're stupid or something like that. You know, that's Satan trying to get in your head. And that is Satan getting in your head. And a lot of times we ask for forgiveness from God. And we keep asking for forgiveness from God for the same thing, and we just get tired of it, and we get weary of it, and we think we're a failure, and that's Satan getting in our head too. That's satanic strategy. Anything that comes in your mind that is negative and pessimistic does not come from God. That comes directly from Satan and his demons, right there. Whenever you go to bash somebody on Facebook because you don't like them because of who they voted for, or for what they stand for, or whatever, man, that's Satan trying to divide you, right there. And you have two options. You can give in to temptation, or you can keep your mouth shut. Or you can add heat, or you can add light to an already heated subject. Add light and add light instead of heat into already heated arguments right now, because that's what that's what pulling your sword out and, and speaking the truth in love is, right? This is what drawing your sword is all about: speaking the truth in love and adding adding light instead of heat to already heated arguments. Man, whenever all you do is argue and bicker to each other, man, it just divides you more. Arguing only divides you more. Peeing contests only make both people wet and more angry at each other and a little more stinky. I said it, you know. <laughs> Nobody benefits from that. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's what pulling your sword is. You, you, can, you can avoid all that by knowing what God's Word is. Put, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. How do we know? We know that we're supposed to act like Jesus, right? We already know that. So how do we know who Jesus is? How do we know who our enemy is if we don't read this book? This is your sword. This is your shield, too. Your faith is your shield. You don't grow in faith unless you know what this book says, either. It's very important. I almost wanted to title this Bring Your Bible, but I didn't think anybody would be interested in that. I'd be interested in that, but not very many people would. This is your lifeline, man. If you only read it once a week, you're probably not going to be very studied up on your enemy or know how to defend yourself against him, either. That's an everyday deal, just like Kevin says every Sunday. We're not, we're not here to feed you, because you're, if we only get fed once a week, you're going to starve. That's the same thing with this Bible. If you only study your enemy once a week, you're probably not going to be able to defend yourself very well. So, verse 18, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Sometimes it helps whenever Satan's attacking you too to pray. You know, you can go back to when Jesus was being attacked by Satan whenever he was first starting his ministry. And that's what, that's what Jesus would literally do is he would call Satan out and say, Satan, get out of here. Get out of here when Satan was trying to tempt him. That's exactly what Jesus did. I wouldn't have known that unless I'd have read this Bible. Wouldn't have known it. Wouldn't have had that opportunity to cast Satan out. And I know it works because I've done it. You can cast Satan out when a negative thought comes in your head. You get that thought out and you already feel a lot better. Go and pray about it. 
Go and pray about it to God. Cast your cares upon the Lord because He cares for you. That's exactly what this Bible says too. It's the same thing whenever you're under attack. It's the same thing. God wants to be with you and He wants to help you. And all the rules in this book or the rules that we think are rules are really just there to help us along the way. You know, a lot of times we view it as restriction and, and not being free, you know. Well, God doesn't want us to have any fun because He has all these rules inside for us. No, He says those rules inside and set in stone for us because He doesn't want us to, to have the baggage that we have. I'm, I'm living proof of that. I have a lot of stuff that I have baggage from that God never intended me to carry. He never did. But I, I didn't know that until I started reading my Bible and started listening to the Word. I didn't know that. I didn't. And it was a, it was... It was a bittersweet moment whenever I finally realized that, is that God isn't down on me and He loves me for who I am. And uh, a lot of times that scares people off because they're afraid of commitment like that. You know, uh, I heard a, a, a pretty profound statement. I think it was from Ravi Zacharias, which he's passed away now. But, you know, he, he talked about uh, all these countries across the world have thousands of pages of laws, thousands of pages of laws, all because man couldn't follow ten simple commandments. Ten simple commandments. And that's a crazy truth too. So, verse 19, Paul's praying or asking for prayer. And this is a, a prime example of how you're supposed to pray for your brothers too because we're all under attack. I guarantee you somebody's under attack right now in this room probably during the sermon. I bet they are. It says, and pray for me to ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Speaking boldly is for him as I should. Paul was in chains. He knew he was going to get his head chopped off. He knew he was going to be beaten and tortured and be in chains and be in prison. But gosh, when you read all of his letters, he's the most joyful person in the world. And I don't know how he was. He had every, every opportunity to be pessimistic and negative. But, but since the Spirit was living through him, man, he's such a good example of what, of what we're supposed to be like as a Christian. Other than Jesus, man, that guy was a rock star. Paul was for me. He's one of my biblical heroes for sure. Like I said, he had every every opportunity to, to, to give in to temptation and be negative and be pessimistic, even in his letters, but he chose not to. So I'm back in John 9, and I'll close things up with this. Then Jesus told him, I entered the world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who, stand, who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying that we're blind? Jesus simply replied, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. You remain guilty because you claim you can see. I think the most trouble, I think the worst place that we can be as a Christian is to think that we already know it all and be so self-dependent on everything that we do that we don't need God at all, even though He's right there waiting for us. And life can get just just get harder and harder. And I'm my life's living proof of that too, because I've I've I tried to run everywhere to but to God. Everywhere. I tried everything but to serve God. I was like, Jonah. I was like, I am not going to do what you asked me to do, dude. <laughs> and I did. Mostly because he wasn't very nice to me. And I'm just trying to say, maybe, maybe somebody's going through a hard time right now. Maybe it's God trying to tell you that you, need, that, he, that you need him in your life. Maybe he's just trying to make you stronger for something that's coming up ahead. I don't know. But a lot of bad things that happen in life aren't God's fault. Not God's fault at all. Like I said earlier, we make two mistakes whenever we think about Satan. We don't think of him enough or we think of him too much and a lot of times right now we're not thinking of him thinking of him at all i see it everywhere it's not just on social media i see it at the coffee shops i see it at wherever you can just hear people's conversations and they're just running down every somebody else it may not even be political they're just running down somebody else some people aren't happy unless they're complaining about something right draw your sword man this this thing has hope 
fruit of the spirit is peace, joy, love. Man, that's what that's what God wants to give you, and that's that's why we're supposed to go serve other people, and we're supposed to love other people. It's to spread the word of God. And why do we spread the word of God? That's another question. Why do we spread the word of God? If we are already saved and we are already going to heaven, why is it that we need to spread the word of God? Why is it that we glorify Him? I'll tell you why. When you study what Jesus went through on the cross, you'll understand a lot more. Man, that guy was whipped, tortured, beaten, spat on, cursed at by the people who said they loved Him. And uh, he, I, I know while studying the night before, Jesus was praying to God, Lord, if there is any other way, please let it be. But if but your will be done. If, if this is your will for me to be beaten and tortured, then I'll do it. Man, out of respect for that guy, I'll do anything. When you, when you actually study what that guy went through for us, you'll have a difference of opinion on why you want to glorify him, on why you want to glorify him. We have so many idols nowadays that it's crazy. You know, I, I can remember, and I'll probably get hate mail for this, but like when Kobe Bryant died, there's people marching in the streets and parades everywhere and statues and everything. I'm not saying Kobe Bryant wasn't a good guy and he didn't help a lot of people because he did. He did. But man, people can't even get out of church for out of out of bed for church in the morning just because <laughs> they don't feel good, you know. And I've been there. I'm stepping on my own toes. I don't feel like going to church today, but guess what? I'm going to go. Satan can make you feel bad too. Be like, "Oh, I don't feel like going to church today. It just ain't worth it. I don't. I'll catch next week." And then when next week comes, you say the same thing and eventually it's it's a barrier between you and God. How do you know who God is if you never hear his word and you never read it? How do you know what your sword is? How do you know how to use your sword? How do you even know if you even have a sword if you don't even know what this is? If you don't even open it? If you don't even know where yours is? It might be at home and under a pile of clothes or something. I don't know. But that's up to you. That's only a question you can answer. So draw your sword because we're needing it right now. We need it now, now more than ever. Need it now more than ever. So, And I'm not saying to use it to chop everybody's heads off, but <laughs> maybe to help somebody. Maybe to come along and assist somebody. Maybe to give them an encouraging word. Think before you speak. Is it truthful? Is it helpful? Is it inspirational? Is it negative or is it kind? Think before you speak.